You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Let's turn to that psalm just for a short while, Psalm 67. And I want us to hear God's word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, Selah, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth, Selah. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. If I came up to the end and said to you, I want to bless you. And I give you a thousand quid in cash. You'd be quite happy, I suspect. It's not going to happen, by the way. But uh, if I did, I think you'd be fairly happy. Or um, you come invited back to our house for a meal. I want to bless you with food. We understand, I think, what that means. But what does it mean for God to bless us? Well, we'll look at that and I think we'll be um, surprised or at least reminded of what that means. There's an old uh, hymn song that I was tempted to sing, but I won't. Uh, Some of you will know it. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. For some of us, that's quite easy. We've gone through a period of, well, there's answered prayer as regards health, and we've got food on the table, and got a promotion, or got a pay raise, or our kids are doing well, or maybe a whole bunch of different things, uh, and people can sit down and, and count their blessings. But for others, that's hard, because you think that you're living a life under curse, So let's just think about what it actually means. Now this psalm itself is probably, uh, it certainly was an act of congregational worship. Probably sung with a a presenter like John was here where they would sing out and then there would be a response. So uh, it, it could be, almost certainly was sung in that way. And it was just a reminder to all God's people of his blessings. It was almost certainly as well sung at harvest thanksgiving. Now most of us don't live in the context um, of a a culture where our next meal comes from the harvest in our own fields or the fields of our neighbors. But uh, the Israelites did. And there is no reason for us to forget that we owe the basic things of life to God, the blessings that we receive when we sit down and uh, have a meal, we, we must remember that it does not come from Aldi. Used to, I used to say Tesco, but I'm with the times now. Uh, it doesn't come from Aldi or Marks and Spencers or whatever. It doesn't even come from our own money. It doesn't come from the factories. God provides us richly with things to enjoy. And we will be having a a harvest thanksgiving here in the congregation. It's good for us to do that and to remember that. But here he begins by 
singing a prayer, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And it's very interesting because he, he identifies, first of all, the fact that God does bless his people. There's a unique blessing on God's people. There's a sense in which there's a blessing of God over the whole world, but there's a blessing particularly upon his people. And he brings together two blessings. One is the Abrahamic, Genesis 12:2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then the ironic blessing in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Well, what are the blessings of God? In the context of the harvest, that's seen in what we call ordinary providence, just God's normal day-to-day blessings. The harvest, the blessings of children, the food on your table. I hope that um, you still give thanks for the food. I hope you still bless, ask a blessing upon the food. You can see it in terms of music. You can see it in all these items of God's beauty and provision. The New Testament says just very simply that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. And there's not a single person here who doesn't have something to give thanks to God for. A measure of health and strength. God's uh, blessing even materially because none of us are starving. Not one of you is going to, is, is, you might be sitting thinking right now what you're going to eat, but you're not thinking if you're going to eat. You're just thinking about, well, will I do this or will I do that or how will I, you know, we, we, we have tremendous blessings and we need to remember to be thankful to God for that. But here in this psalm, the blessings of God are seen as, they are, the ones I've just mentioned, they are important, they are essential. But they are also common to many people. The blessings of God go beyond that. For example, the blessing of forgiveness. There's things that you've done and that you've said in your life that nobody can forgive you for, not even yourself, but God can. There's the grace of God. Grace just simply means something that we do not deserve. Um, I'm not saying this as a political endorsement or the opposite, But I heard Donald Trump giving an interview this week, and uh, it was just embarrassingly bad from a Christian perspective, because he's talking about being a Christian and the Bible being his favorite book and all that kind of stuff, and he was asked about forgiveness, and he says, no, uh, if I make a mistake, I'm too busy trying to correct it myself. In other words, I don't need God, and I'm going, you, well, I'm not going to say what I thought. (laughs) It was just awful. I just, you know, I don't need forgiveness. I'm a self-made man. I can buy what I want or I can get... No, no, no. People, some of us, we may not have, have it in that sense, but we think, well, I don't need forgiveness because I may have done something bad, but I'll do something good. And that'll cancel it out. That's not how it works. The real blessing is the grace of God. It's being in covenant relationship with God. It's knowing God. It's being in Christ. It's hearing his word. It's enjoying him. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You and I know that the most important things in our lives are our relationships. When they go wrong, 
When your relationship with your partner goes wrong, when uh, your relationship with your children goes wrong, or your parents, or your workmates, or your friends, it's really horrible. Relationships go wrong in the church. It's really horrible. But when you see um, relationships going right, it's just lovely. Uh, We were down visiting a, a newly married young couple yesterday, and it was just lovely to see they're in their, in their flat, and just to see how they uh, um, connect with one another and how they change one another. And it was just beautiful to see that kind of relationship. Well, here, the psalmist is saying that our God is a God who comes to his people and gives us a relationship which is above every other relationship. God blesses his people in that way. I do want to ask you as a congregation to pray for Owen O'Rourke. I was up seeing him this week, and he is very seriously ill. And, you know, he knows in the providence of God that it may be he doesn't have long to live on this earth unless uh, he does get a transplant and everything works out. It may work out. It may not work out. And you'd think sitting with Owen, having that kind of... must be kind of depressing. Actually, it's not. Because Owen knows, as, as he puts it lovely, he says, I know... Our Lord. I know our Lord will look after me, whatever happens. That's a really confident relationship. Whatever happens, I know. That's one of the great blessings that God's people have. We are in a covenant relationship with God. We are his people, and we are blessed in that way, even though our external circumstances may seem to be the opposite. Yes, God gives us many blessings in terms of health and family and so on. But when those are taken away, as they often are and can be, it doesn't mean that the main source of that blessing is taken away. And I want to say, if you are a Christian, count your blessings. In one sense, it's not difficult. Because your first thing is this. My first and greatest blessing is that I am in Christ, that I belong to Christ. You will never have anything greater than that. And by the way, if you're not a Christian, you can count all the things that you've got and you can put them on the scale at this level, but if at this level you don't know Jesus, then this is just worth nothing. It can easily just disappear. So the psalmist cries out, the people cry out, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Meaning, may we know him, may he know us. But... It doesn't end there because God blesses his people so that he, that is God, may bless the nations. We are incredibly selfish people, aren't we? We want things for ourselves. We even want God's blessings for ourselves. But God wants us to be blessed so that through us he can bless others. This is what the gospel is. This is what the good news is. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. That's not saying, oh Lord, bless me, so that when I drive around in my BMW, people go, wow, God's great because he gave him that. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that God so blesses us that everywhere we go, we are a blessing to others. Your salvation among all nations, or the, the old King James Version, your saving health God's saving health 
may be known amongst all nations. Now, in one sense, this verse, verse 2, has already been fulfilled because it's asking for the spread of life-giving knowledge. And the scriptures came from Israel, and the scriptures today are still God's means of providing his blessing. 2 Timothy 3.15, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We have received a tremendous blessing, a, a, a great blessing from God. Through God's people, the Jews, came the scriptures. From them came Jesus Christ and the apostles and the New Testament church. And today, we are asking God to bless us so that God's ways would be known throughout the whole earth. I want to make this a very personal thing to you. If God blesses you here, and if God blesses us here as a fellowship, why does he do so? He does it so that we can bless our neighbors, so that we can bless our city, so that we can bless our country, and indeed, so that all the nations of the world can be blessed. I love the idea that if God blesses me here and blesses you here, and let's say there's someone here from Malaysia, because there always are a few people from Malaysia, and they're very welcome. What a blessing upon that country. We pray for that country because they've got troubles now as well. And you see how the blessing resounds in different places and in different ways. Equality and justice in the nations. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 4. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Strength, justice, fairness. That's what we want in the world. And how does that come about? Predominantly, that will not come about through politics. It will not come about through war. And it will not come about through economics. Predominantly, that comes about through God sending out his word and his saving health being made known. And it changing and turning around the whole society. What's the trouble in Malaysia about just now? Is it about religion? Not really. It's about corruption. It's about political corruption and economic corruption. So much in Africa, in Korea. And I don't want to be racist about this at all because here in this country, so much of what's wrong is about corruption. It's about dishonest people, not just politicians. It's about greed and selfishness. It's about sinfulness. And the gospel comes and changes people. And that makes an enormous impact on any culture, on any society. If you want equality and justice in the nations, then you need Jesus Christ to work. I'm sorry this sounds so pretentious, but this is true, and I really, really love this. My favorite writer in the whole world by a mile is Dostoevsky. And um, it's the only thing I've got in common with Freud. Freud thought that The Brothers Karamazov was the greatest novel ever written, and so do I. Uh, I think it's the greatest novel ever written. And uh, when you read Dostoevsky, he really struggles with some depth at, at thinking about how can we have righteousness and justice in a nation when people are corrupt? And he, it's, it's an incredible, I think he has some incredible insights into all of that. But he comes up with the same answer. He, I think 
Partly he thinks it's not possible. He thinks if people will follow Jesus Christ, then that is what makes the most fundamental difference. So you want equality. When you're asking God to bless us, here's an amazing thing. When you're asking God to bless you, you're asking God to bring equality and justice in the nations. Because how you act, and you say, okay, that's big stuff. Here's the small stuff. Here's where you really sweat it. There's no point in you coming to church today, hearing God's word today, being blessed by God today, if tomorrow you lie at work, you cheat at work, you're lazy at work. If on Tuesday you're rotten to your family, if on Wednesday you abuse your neighbors, if on Thursday you cut someone up in the car and yell at them or something. How is that being a blessing to people? Notice what he goes on to say. Uh, May the nations be glad and sing for joy. All the peoples. Notice he doesn't say all the people. All the peoples. He's thinking specifically of the ethnic groups. He's saying, may the Chinese, may the Malaysians, may the Africans, may the Europeans, may the Americans. May they all praise you. And may they be glad and sing for joy. I love what Spurgeon says about this. Nothing creates gladness so speedily, surely, Surely and abidingly as the salvation of God. Nations will never be glad until they follow the leadership of the great shepherd. Some sing for form, others for show. Some as a duty, others as an amusement. But to sing from the heart because overflowing joy must find a vent. This is to sing indeed. Whole nations will do this when Jesus reigns over them in the power of his grace. Some of you will know people who are just incredibly cheerful. I don't mean the really annoying ones, but I mean the the people who, when you meet them, and they just walk down the street and they're singing. You know, okay, some of us sing in the shower, but they sing in the stairway. You know, they sing walking down the street. They're, and you think, wow, just, I wish I had that level of life and maybe bubbliness even. And I think, This is kind of speaking of that in a sense where there's a joy that comes from being part of God's people which is infectious and spreads out throughout the nations. And it's a glorious circle because verse 6, then the land will yield its harvest and God our God will bless us. The harvest is always a great metaphor in both the Old and New Testament. Isaiah 27, 12. In that day the Lord will thresh from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, all Israelites, will be gathered up one by one. Or Revelation 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Or Jesus in Matthew 9, 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'm going to look at this a little bit more tonight, but let me say just now this. There's a mentality that far too many Christians in Scotland have anyway, and it's a mentality like this. The harvest is small. The harvest is small. What do we need workers for? 
the harvest is small. But what does Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Send out laborers into the harvest field. There's a really daring prayer you can pray as a Christian. It's a very simple one. Just say, Lord, give me your eyes so that I can see what you see. Give me your heart so that I can feel what you feel. Because when that happens, you won't be able to when we go up to Charleston or whatever and part of the Aspire project and things like that. You don't see a project, you see people. When you go on the bus, you see people. Your neighbors, you see people. And I love the notion here, oh Lord, bless me so that there may be a harvest. Psalm 72, a great messianic psalm, says, you know, long may he live, long may the king live, let corn abound throughout the land, on the tops of the hills may it sway, let its fruit flourish like Lebanon, let it thrive like the grass of the fields. Do you know, I think most churches in Scotland are actually largely based on just now, that the harvest is not really going to grow, and if we want to be successful as a church, we've got to get whatever there is, whatever corn there already is that's ripened, and get it to come into our particular building or our particular group. We just don't see a great harvest. And I think that is something that is incredibly sad. I think it's something we've imbibed from our culture, and it is not biblical at all. Think of it in this way. Those of you who are farmers, which is not many of you, but some of you who maybe are gardeners, what do you sow? You sow a little, and you reap a massive amount. I think the church in Scotland is largely like a farmer who's got a trailer load of grain as seed barley and says, you know, I don't want to lose this, so I'm just going to keep it. And it's going to go rotten. It's going to go off. But he goes out and sows the seed, and there are just barn loads of the stuff come. When we ask God to bless us, you and I may be saying, well, Lord, I want to thank you for maybe family. I want to thank you for uh, food and clothing. I want to thank you for blessing in my work. And, And rightly so, we should do that. But we make an enormous mistake if we ask for blessing, if we think that blessing is primarily that or stops at that. We should be asking God to bless us as a church. You should be asking God to bless your family. You should be asking God to bless you in your life. Not so that you could be self, even more self-absorbed. Oh, look how wonderful things are for me but so that you might be a blessing to others. If God gives you money, he gives it to you for a purpose, and it's not just for for yourself and for your own glory. If God gives you family, it's for a purpose, so that you can share with others. If God gives you health, it's for a purpose, so that you can be a blessing to others. If God blesses us as a fellowship, as he has done, then it's for a purpose. I think that when we sit at the Lord's table, it's a great reminder that every blessing that we have flows from the cross. Count your blessings. Too often we've sung that song, go, yeah, okay, uh, I can count this and I can count that and I can count that. And we do it in a very narrow focus. 
Whereas counter blessings is, yes, there's one sense of looking to the past, but actually what's here is a glorious anticipation. Owen was right. I know what our Lord does. Whatever our Lord does, it will be good for me. That's a real blessing to know that. What we have tasted just now is the, to use the posh term, the hors d'oeuvre. It's just the starter. Any blessing you receive in this life is just the starter. The main meal is yet to come. So counting our blessings and being thankful for what God has given us just now is one aspect. But we're just saying, oh, this is only a taster. Only a taster of what is yet to come. Even in this life. Notice how Jesus does it in terms of fruit. When he says, anyone who gives up. And then he lists house, money, even family. For the sake of me and the gospel. Will receive eternal life in age to come. But now, a hundred times more. A hundred times more. That's not a cheap prosperity gospel. It's something much, much more and much deeper. We will be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then, I think the Lord's table is telling us that. It's telling us to remember the Lord's death from which all our blessings come. But to look forward. Remember the Lord's death. Remember the blessings that comes from it. And that again surely is this. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. There's a song, Shine Jesus Shine. And I sort of like it and I sort of hate it. And I couldn't work out why I hated it until recently. I thought it was just taste, okay? And also, when, you were, when I was growing up, you, you heard it all the time. And just, oh, it was just the caricature of the happy, clappy evangelical. Um, shiny, happy people was the song I preferred um, from R.E.M. But shine, Jesus, shine. And it's, it is, you know, it's, in one sense, it's a great song. It's a good song because it's wanting Jesus to shine upon the land and Jesus to bless the land. It's only this week that I discovered where it was theologically wrong. And some of you may be going to say, oh, idiot, you, you should have seen that. Um, I just had this instinct that there's something missing here. And here's what's missing. And maybe you don't agree with this, but um, this is why I, I, I thought this was really helpful. I, I read this, and I th- as I thought about it, I thought it's true. It's a great sentiment, wanting Jesus to shine on the whole nation. And it's right to pray that. It certainly is. But when we're talking about God shining his face, in this psalm anyway, you know what it's asking? It's about God shining his face upon his people And we then reflect that to other people. It's the idea that um, God is with us and that cannot but help be communicated to other people. They have been with Jesus. And that is actually the key and the secret to evangelism. It's not that you've got a better technique. It's not that you're particularly articulate. It's not that you've got, oh, well, I've got this great book or this great piece of music. You know what it is? It's that you have been with Jesus and Jesus has shone upon you. And do you know what that does? You can't help but be hospitable. You can't help but love people. You can't help but see with the eyes that Christ sees. You can't help but be concerned. You can't help but weep. 
You get to know Christ better and you reflect his glory. And it's as though you're like Moses coming down from the mountain and his face shone, literally shone. The people could hardly look at it. I'm not saying you go out as the shiny, happy people in that way. But I'm saying simply this, that your life should be so filled with Christ that people are just blown away, that they are stunned, that they want to know this Jesus who you love, who you know, and who you serve. So we're asking God to bless us. We're asking God to bless us by shining his face upon us. We're acknowledging all his temporal mercies. We're acknowledging all these gifts. But most of all, as we sit at his table, we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. And we are so grateful and thankful. And we have this gospel and this Lord to share with everyone else. Amen. May God bless his word. Lord, thank you and help us as we reflect upon what your word says. Be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face shine upon us. That all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the earth, the peoples in our streets, peoples in our towns and villages and in this city may come to know you and to praise you and to know your justice and your fairness and your joy. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.